Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Well, well, let's, let's preach. Let's preach the word. Let's see what Jesus says. I asked him what he wanted me to share with you today, and he gave me one sentence. And from that, it just kind of led to a, a sermon. And I know you've heard it, but if you've ever been in Sunday school, some of you may not have been in Sunday school, and that's okay. We'll learn it today. I never know who I'm talking to. Usually I'm talking to people who do not know these stories. So don't feel like I'm patronizing you if I tell you a story that you heard as a small child. Okay, I'm not. I just I preach like I'm in a jail with people who don't know the stories, if that's okay. All right. So I said, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? And he said, I want to ask a question. Who do you bow to? Who do you bow to? If you'll turn with your, me and your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, I preach out of the NLT. It's a little easier for me to understand. Um, it's just the New Living Translation. Some of you might have the NIV, and that's awesome too. I may have put some of it in the NIV. I may put it in the NLT. I may have some in the KJV. You never know what comes out of me. We'll just see. So the story, yes. The story is of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Has anybody ever heard the story? Okay. Has anybody not heard the story? And it's okay to say, I haven't heard that story before. Okay, good. I'm glad. There was a big fancy king, and he had taken um, possession of a whole lot of people from Jerusalem and Israel and made them slaves. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were those people who were slaves, and they were slaves in a place in Babylon under a king called King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a big fancy name. We might call him Neb. If he's from Appalachia, we just call him Neb. So, um, <laughs> but King Neb made a gold statue in verse one. He made it 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. And if you're like me, I, I don't really... Like, I, you could say 90 feet tall, and that doesn't, like, give me a good idea of how big that is. So my husband said it's the same distance from home plate to first base. So <laughs> that's how tall it was. And it was made of gold and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, which is, like, right now, that would be in modern-day Iraq. So they had been taken out of Jerusalem and Israel and moved to Iraq. All right. Then he sent message. Uh, he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials. So the hoity-toities of all the places that he had conquered. And he told them to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all of these fancy folks came and stood before the statue of Neb that he had set up. Then a herald shouted. People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, I don't even know what half of those things are, but I'm just going to say, like, when the band starts playing, bow to the ground to worship King Neb's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the, the band, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that Neb set up. <clears throat> but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed, told, told on him, snitched, and said that, uh, Neb, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all these people to bow down and worship you. And when they heard these instruments, they're supposed to do that. That decree also says that anyone who doesn't do it must be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, there were some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Shad, Mesh, and Abed, I don't know, I'm trying to make it all Appalachian for us, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they don't worship the gold statue you set up. So Neb flew into a rage and ordered that they be brought to him. When they got there, he says, 
is this true? You refuse to serve my gods and worship the gold statue I set up. I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, uh, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Well, the three of them said, Neb, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Well, now he is so angry that his whole face became distorted with rage. And he said, well, let's heat this furnace up seven times hotter than usual. He got his strongest men from his army to bind them up and pitch them into the fire. And then they all died because it was so doggone hot. But when they pitched them in there, he was like, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three folks in there? There's four folks in there. And I got to turn the page. I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. He came as close to the door and said, hey, y'all. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So the three of them stepped out of the fire. There wasn't a, a hair on their head that was singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And Neb said, praise to the God of, of these three fellows um, who rescued his servants, who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any God except their own God. Well... You don't got a tissue anywhere, do you? I know. I'm just one of those people who snots when I talk about Jesus. So, sorry about that. I should have loaded up. Look, we're not fancy. Not where I work. You're not fancy. Does anybody else work in corrections? Okay. We're not fancy, are we? No. Okay. And if you... I just don't have any pretenses. I really love Jesus, and I will not cry for him. I don't care what anybody says. So what does it mean to bow down? I thought, like, after I pondered all that, I thought, Lord, what do you want me to actually teach them? And he kept saying, who do you bow to? Who do you bow to? And I thought, well, where does bowing even come from? I mean, we've been over to London, and we we didn't meet the queen, but we saw the queen, and like everybody bows down to her. You know, you can't look her in the eye. You can't. You gotta. You gotta bow. And I've got a friend who works over in Japan, and she's always like, "Hi," and I'm like, "Hello, <laughs> howdy." You know, and so like bowing is is where did it come from? And if you think about this is the way I think about things. Um, if you ever came into the Smokies and you came across a bear, what is it that you're supposed to do? Are you supposed to be like looking it straight in the eye? And no, no. And I've run across a few bears and I've come pretty close to some bears. And let me tell you, I don't look it in the eye. <laughs> you don't look it in the eye. You try and make yourself, and for, for me and Kenneth, it's probably harder. You try and make yourself smaller than the bear. Like you don't want to come across as like big and threatening and like an adversary. You want to be like, okay, bear, I'm a little bitty. I'm just going <laughs> to. Just don't, don't pay no attention to me. I'm just going to just move along. You just mind your business. I'll mind mine. Right? And that what we did. Like, you're not supposed to run. You're not supposed to do all the things. You're not supposed to. I mean, now, I did holler at one once, but you're not, like, that's probably not a good idea. Um, well, maybe it is. I don't know. But anyways, the point of it is that you get smaller because you're showing the bear animalistically that you aren't a threat. You are recognizing that it is more powerful than you are, and so you're going to get small, right? And that tells the bear, this is not a threat. This is, I have more power than this thing, right? So you're submitting yourself to that bear's power. And if all else fails, you fall on the ground and you roll up into a fetal position. Do you guys know this? You're going to thank me when you're out in the Smokies. I promise. You, you get in a fetal position and you just lay there, right? And you try and play dead and you just, you don't move. Well, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. 
We ran, didn't we, William? We did. Um, but when you bow, you're showing that you have a lower status than the other person. I'm not the Queen of England, so when I bow to her, I'm showing her that she has a status that's higher than me. When people do it in Japan, the more prominent the person, the lower you bow, the more you bow. And so um, in American culture, we don't do it too much. There's ways that we do do it. Like if you're in a job interview, you're supposed to like lean forward and, and act interested. But what it is, is you're showing them that they have more authority than you do subconsciously. I'm just giving you a little. You're stronger than me. I'm weaker. I have lower status. I'm less than you. So um, it's fitting that people will kneel before a monarch, but ultimately, who do we, who are we supposed to bow before? I always ask questions you're supposed to answer, right? It's jail talk, right? You ask a question, people answer. So who are we supposed to bow before? Jesus, God, right. That's the one who we're supposed to bow before. But in this situation, everybody is being told to bow before and worship what? A big old fat gold statue. And I think, you know, as a leader, maybe he was trying to like unite all these people groups that worshiped all these different gods. And if he can get them on the same page with the same religion, worshiping the same God, which was probably him, um, then that would kind of unite their kingdom a little bit more. I mean, I kind of get where maybe he was going for. I don't know. I just made that part up. You don't have to write it down. But we do know that in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. And he dreamed uh, about a statue that had a head of gold. And in the interpretation that Daniel gives him, he says, that, that head of gold represents your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, well, yeah. He's like, you're the greatest. You're the most powerful. And it works its all the way down to like 10 toes of, of clay. And so um, those are other kingdoms. But you see, he takes that, almost takes that dream, and he's like, oh, well, I'm the big head of gold. And he sets himself up a statue that's made of solid gold, and he sets it up there for, for everybody to come and worship. So what is idolatry? And we teach this in the jail, like, all the time. What is idolatry? Anybody? Everybody's like, <laughs> Thank you. That's a great, that's a great answer. So anything that you put before God, any kind of pleasure, any kind of person, um, a drug, alcohol, substance, it's easy in the jail to be like, what was your idol? And they're like, heroin. And you're like, that's part of it. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, but what we don't realize is that a lot of us sitting here, in fact, probably all of us have things that we turn to that are not Jesus Christ, right? What do you do when you're stressed out? Anybody want to? No, it's like nothing. I go and worship Jesus. Um, I don't eat. I don't eat my feelings. Um, but some of us do. Some of us eat our feelings. Some of us watch television that's funny and we'll watch it for six hours straight because we just don't want to feel anything, right? I'm not going to point any fingers. Um, but some people, um, they online shop because it just, it's a way to zone out and it, and it makes them feel better. Like they have some kind of control over their life or, or some people, maybe they just work super late at work or they go and they exercise because it gives them all the good feels, right? There are a million things that we can do that we can place above Jesus Christ in those types of situations that will not get us sent to jail. They just do the things that get them sent to jail, and we don't. But does that change us spiritually in God's eyes? Okay, I'm just saying. So while this is, I'm going to give you an not an like an exclusive, all-encompassing list. I am going to give you kind of a list of things that relate to Daniel chapter 3 that can be idols. We had already said that in Daniel chapter 2, he set up an image, an image that they were to worship, right? Um, one of the things that we can love is our own image, I'm not going to point any fingers at anybody who's on social media right now. 
But I was thinking about it. I think that if you had a 90-foot tall statue that was nine feet wide, you probably couldn't erect something that big that was solid gold. Maybe he did, but they like most commentators seem to think that it was probably gold plated just because that's a lot of gold, you know, to put, to cast and move around. But it was probably gold plated. And you think about when you go on social media, what are you making? You're making a gold plated image of yourself. It's not all the way solid, all the way through. It's just a gold plated, look at me. This is the best part of my life. Clink. Clink. I know it keeps getting higher the more chins I get. But it's like, oh, I don't have that chin. Clink. I stand like this all the time. Look, I'm reading my Bible with a cup of coffee and a tissue because I'm crying. Not because my nose is just running all the time. But, um, if you think about it, we can we can create gold-plated images of ourselves all the time. We can also be like he was. We want to show off our successes. Look how awesome we are. Look at this thing that we did that was so amazing. And Pastor, you and I especially, we can be like, look at our fancy ministries and all the things that we've accomplished in our ministries. And oh, how many people did you get saved this week? And oh, how many people? And it's not even about Jesus. It's just about building up an image of yourselves that other people can look at and worship. And so another thing that we can do is you can flip that coin and you can worship your own failures. You can worship all the things that you've done that have been broken and horrible in your life, and you can elevate them above the power of Jesus Christ to change you. You can be like, well, look at this thing. God is not strong enough to change me. I've already blown it. I've already messed up. I've already screwed up. There's no getting out of it now. Let that sink in for a minute. You are telling God that he is not powerful enough to take your mistakes and transform and resurrect them. They are more powerful than he is. And so we hold on to those things and we we dwell on them and we, we sit and think about, oh, how could I have done that differently? We do it with grief. We put our grief above the power of Jesus to bring life into our life to bring joy back. There is a time for grief and mourning, but it can't own your life because God is going to redeem death. And for us, there is no sting. There is no hopelessness. Jesus still defeated death. He is still above it. So anything that we elevate above Jesus Christ, whether it be our grief and failures or our successes in our own image, are things that have become idols to us. Okay. It's an obvious one. They were worshiping an actual idol, an actual physical statue. Now, I don't know. I mean, I know where Nate's from. Like, when we went and we picked up Nate, there were um, mountainsides, and inside of all the little holes were actual Buddhas, right? So there's a Buddha in every hole in every cave that they had hollowed out inside of every mountain and on every high place. There were actual Buddhas, right? Right. So don't think that just because we're in America, idols don't exist anymore. They do. I was in college and this girl came in and her, she brought in all of the, the monks and the smoke and they set up a, a, an idol to worship in her dorm room totally normal in other parts of the world. They worship their ancestors. They worship, right? Ancestral worship, totally normal. So all over the world, there still are idols. They are made out of things. Like people make them out of wood or stone or whatever, gold, and they will make them. And are those things, do they have any power? No. So the Bible says they don't have ears. They don't have eyes. They can't do anything. But in, and I want to say this correctly, so I'm going to, I'm going to quote it. But in Corinthians, and you don't have to flip there because I'll find it eventually. It says, 
that when, and I'll just have to paraphrase it because now, of course, I can't find it. No, it's okay. It says that when you, when you worship an idol, oh, here it is. It's right here. No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to be participants with demons. Well, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 20. So what is actually listening to the prayers of those very sincere people on the other side of that stone or wood or gold? What is actually listening? What does the Bible say? A demon, right? Have those changed from the time of Nebuchadnezzar till now? No, they haven't changed. The demons are still very real and they still listen and they still have some power, right, on this earth because who is the ruler of this earth right now before Jesus comes back? Satan. Satan is still the ruler over this area. We, of course, have authority over that, but to people who worship Buddha and Hinduism and all the gods that go with it, they are still worshiping things that are represented by the demonic. So people who are very spiritual, we meet, okay, so I live close, I grew up in Asheville, and so, or near Asheville, close. And it got so weird because people want a form of spiritualism, but they don't want God, so who are they worshiping? So here in America, it's more like, well, I'm just going to worship nature, or I'm just going to, it's the summer solstice and the, they get off into all that weird kind of hippy-dippy stuff. And it has a spirit behind it. And when you open the door to the occult or spiritualism or anything that is not Christ Jesus, it's idol worship. Okay, so I'm just going to say, anytime you open that door, don't be surprised it's, you're not just talking to a, a tree or nature. There are plenty of demons out there who are willing to listen to you and take you up on it. And I don't know. I deal with the demonic all the time. I don't know if you do in Greene County, but Cod County is like, I don't know. When you go into a jail, it's almost like the veil between the spiritual and the supernatural is very thin there. And they will mess with stuff all the time. And they come in and they've opened themselves up to the demonic all the time. So, yes, I have seen people manifest all kinds of stuff. And I'll tell you, demons are very real. They still act. They're still very present. And you will face them at some point if you love Jesus and are trying to win people to the Lord. Okay, so that... That's a form of idolatry, loving ourselves, loving, loving other religions or sp spiritualism other than the gospel of Christ. And then when you think about what they were worshiping, they were worshiping an image made out of gold. You can love the things of the world, right? You can love all the bright, shiny things. You can love the gold. I know tons of people who come in and they're like, I just want the money, right? Give me the, give me the Benjamins. That's all they're interested in. I mean, the drug whole cartel is run on what? Getting money, getting rich, making cash, right? So they can have stuff and things and cars and boats and planes. They love it. But don't think that the people who run corporations are there out of the goodwill of their heart. Don't think that the government is run by people who are there for your best interest. They love the things of this world. They love the shiny, the loud, the music for distraction, in their faces, attention grabbing. The Bible says in James 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Is that saying, don't be friends with non-Christians? No. It's not what it's saying. When it says friendship with the world, the world translates into this. The circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, Anything that is hollow, frail, fleeting, that stirs desire, seduces us from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. 
I saw when we went to Miami, a lot of bathing suits that were meant to stir and entice and pull people away from the image of God. I'm sorry, that may have crossed the line. I'm, I may have to. I, there are a lot of images that seduce and stir us away from Jesus Christ. There's a lot of music that does that. There are a lot of films that do that. There is a lot of commercials that will do that. There is a lot of drugs and alcohol that will do that. There is a lot of things, advantages, riches, pleasures that will pull the gospel right out of you. And here's the thing, and I want to point this out. I want to make this point super clear. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, could they not have said, you know, I can, I can get on my knees and worship God and nobody will ever know. Like, couldn't they have done that? Couldn't they have just been like, yeah, nobody will know. And in, in my mind, in my mind, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'll worship Christ and nobody's going to know the difference. And let's just not make a stir because this could cost me my life and further down the road, like I could come into a situation where I could witness to people, but it's really like, this isn't the hill I want to die on. Could they have done that? Well, of course they could have. They could have put their knee down and been like, God, we're really worshiping you. Don't tell anybody, you know, and they could have done both. How do you think God would have felt about that? Do you think he shares? I don't know. Has anybody, like, does anybody know the Ten Commandments, like, right off? Just the first one. Anybody? Pastor? No other gods. Like, does he share? He doesn't share. So they knew God well enough to know that he doesn't share. So they couldn't put their knee down because he doesn't share. So can I listen to those things and go to those places and do those things? And it really, you know, but, but my heart, God, it really is for you. So I'm fine. I'm fine. I really love you. I'm just doing this, you know, because my friends are there because, you know, everybody else is doing it. It's fine. It's not a big deal. You know, my heart, God, my heart really is for you. But I just, I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm like coming down really hard on you. But this is what he spoke to me. He's like, Emily, can you really do these things and say you're not trying to share the platform with me? Like, aren't you putting one knee down here and one knee down over there? Like, it, it feels like you are. Even though you're not pledging devotion to it, you put your knee down, which says that you're submitting to its authority and saying that its authority is okay in my life. I submit my authority to you. I'm going to let your, you have power over me. So when I listen to those things or allow myself to go to those things, am I not allowing it to have some sort of power over me for at least, I don't know, an hour and a half to 95 minutes? I don't know. I don't know. I'll let you answer that. But the Bible is super clear in Galatians 5. It says that idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what if they really love Jesus? I don't know. I didn't write it. But it says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what if they go to church every week? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. There will be plenty who will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? And didn't I cast out demons in your name? And didn't I praise your name? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I did not know you. Do you think you can stand before God and bow down before him after you've just bowed down to 95 minutes of garbage? It's not okay. He is calling for holiness purity, people who love him, obey his word and keep his commands. If you love me, you will keep my 
commands. My first command is no other gods before me. I do not share the stage. I do not. I have called you out to become a holy and separate people. I did not call you to be of this world. You were in it. You were not of it. You are foreigners. You are pilgrims. You are passing through. You are aliens. You are not to be corrupted by this world. How many times did Israel slip into it without even knowing it? And by the time they got judged, for it. They were like, God, forgive me. And in his mercy, he always did. But there is coming a moment when the mercy and the grace of God will be replaced by the justice and the righteous judgment of Jesus Christ. And he will say, get away from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. And this comes from a Christian to myself. I don't, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at me. Because we all need to take time to examine ourselves. If Paul, the apostle, says that I have to examine myself so that I do not get disqualified from the race that I'm running, how can we not examine ourselves and say, Lord, have I let in some sort of idol that has taken your place that I run to when I need comfort or when I need a pleasure or when I need some sort of fulfillment? I've gone to this thing, this person, this relationship, this lifestyle, this mentality instead of to you. The church is full of us full of me's. So who should we bow before? We said it at the beginning. Who do we bow before? Jesus. Jesus. When was the last time you literally, physically prostrated yourself before Christ Jesus? If Jesus were in this room right now, do you think any could stand? Do you think any of us would want to stand? What happens when John goes into heaven and he's standing at the throne of God? He falls like dead man and he has to be strengthened and picked back up because the glory of God is so powerful. His holiness, his righteousness, so pure that we would all fall on our faces and we would plead with him to take a hyssop branch and cleanse us from our sins because we would see how unrighteous we really were. Cleanse us, God. We wonder why we sit here with no power and no anointing and no authority. And it's because we are blotted with idolatry and sins and things that we have bowed to 20 minutes before we walked into the church. It will always rob you of your blessing when you choose the world over God, when you choose your own self over God, when you choose the enemy over God. At one point in Isaiah, Philippians, Romans, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you want to be forced to do it or will you do it now voluntarily because you love him? I want to take you to Ezekiel. Well, let's start in Philippians. Let's go to Philippians. Philip to Philippians. Everyone's like, this lady's scary. I do not apologize. I don't. I don't want you to feel like I'm saying this because I'm angry at you. I'm saying it because I love you too much and I love myself too much to let myself get before God and be surprised when he says, why did you bow before other idols besides me? Philippians 2, 1 through 8. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, (laughs) God, please comfort us with your love right now. (laughs) Any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Wait, what? I'm not living my best life now. You're making me unhealthy, therefore I can't be around you. 
sorry, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God. So Jesus is God, the very nature of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Brit and I are equals, but I cannot use it to his like to my advantage over him. Right? I can't. I can't. Let's say he owes me a hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, who write me a check? Thanks. I'll hold on till it's a payday. If he owes me that much, can I use that in my advantage over him? Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. So in your relationships, verse five, with each other, have that mindset. Who am I submitting to? If I submit to Jesus Christ, then I will act like Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, even though he was equal, even though he had the had an advantage, he could have used it to his advantage. I could use Brit's debt to my advantage. And I could own the man. I could be like, nope, you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're going to do this because you owe me. Or hey, the guy that cuts you off in line. Hey, 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 I have an advantage over you. You just wronged me. Consider him better than yourself, even to the point of death, death on a cross, laying down your life for another. Who did that? Jesus did. Who are we supposed to be imitating? Jesus. If we bow before God, the way we do it on this earth is to bow and submit ourselves in humility, thinking of ourselves and the other interests of other people and and thinking about them, valuing them above ourselves. I submit to you. You don't deserve it, but I submit to you. What did Jesus say to me? You don't deserve it, but I will serve you. While you were yet a sinner, I will die for you. And if we're doing the same, we lower ourselves off our high horses, out of our ivory towers, and we worship Jesus by, by not worshiping, serving others. Don't worship others. Don't worship other people. That's bad. Okay, I'm going to take you one other place and then I'll stop. Ezekiel 47. It talks about the river of God. Ezekiel's given a vision. He's taken up. He's given a vision of the river of God. He's, he goes to the back door of the house of God and he sees water flowing under the doorway towards the east. The house looks towards the east. The water is flowing under the right side of the house from south side of the altar. I get confused with all that, but just roll with it. He brought me out through the north gate, led me around on the outside to the east gate, and I saw water coming from the south side. Okay, we got all that. Now, going towards the east, the man or the angel that he's with takes 500 long steps. And how far does the water come up? You guys were reading. You got this. Right. Then he goes out 500 more steps, leads him through the water. And how, how deep's the water? Knee deep. Okay. He goes out another 500 long steps, goes through the water. This time where? Waist deep. And again, he numbers 500 long steps. And? It's too deep. He had to swim in it. Nobody could cross it. How deep do you want to be in the river of God? How deep? How deep? Anybody? 
when you are that deep and you're swimming, are you in control of your life anymore? Do you get to stand there and say which way the current's going to take you? Have y'all ever been in Nolichucky? Maybe some of y'all in Greenville? What are they in? What rivers around here? This Tennessee, have y'all ever tried to swim across it? The Nolichucky is like Indian for Death River. Like people dying all the time. Because the current is so strong, it'll jerk you under. But what does Christ Jesus want us to die in? The water of God. He wants us to give up our control and to be taken under the water so that we can be resurrected in new life. I'm just going to keep going. That was just a little side. That was a nickel tour. He brought me back to the side of the river, and as I returned, I saw there were very many trees on both sides of the river, and he said to me, these waters go out towards the east country, and how, this is, this is verse 8 for anybody who's like, oh wait, I'm not reading with you. These waters go out towards the east and down. How does water always flow? Water flows down, right? It goes downhill. How many people have ever seen water flow up to Mount Pisgah or Mount Mitchell or whatever mountains around here? Leconte. Water doesn't go up. It always goes down. So think about this. When you're up high on mountains, and I grew up in mountains, this, let's talk about like Rocky Mountains. Has anybody ever been out there? Ever seen Rocky Mountains? They're like 14,000 feet. They're super high. Are there any trees at the top? No, there's no trees at the top. The water starts up there and it goes. And as you go down, you start to get some scraggly brush, right? And then you start to get maybe some like conifer trees. But then it's not until you get way down till you start getting like what? I don't know, hardwood trees, right? So the water of God is coming from the throne of God. And as it's going down, it's not only getting deeper, it's getting wider and it's getting vegetation. So just go with me on this. Go with me on this. All of a sudden it's going into the Dead Sea. And when it flows into this Dead Sea, which is just solid salt water, can anything live in salt salt water? No. I mean, maybe my contacts, but most stuff can't live in salt water. And it hits that salt water. What does it say it's going to do? It will become clean again. Every living thing that gathers where the river goes will live. There's going to be all kinds of animals and life again. And then in verse 12, all kinds of fruit trees will grow on both sides of the river. Their leaves will not dry up and they'll never stop giving fruit. They will give fruit every month because their water flows from a holy place. Their fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. I want to I want to just kind of I hope God please help me to explain this well. The water that is coming from the throne of God is a beautiful thing and it brings healing and wholeness and life. But as we who are the trees planted beside the water want to bring forth fruit in due season and our leaves to bring healing, we have to plant ourselves beside the rivers of water. But where did we say that the water flows from high to And the Lord said to me, tell them I want them to go low. When they bow, they need to go low. Who is low? Who cannot repay you? This is the heart of missions. Isaiah says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. Where are they? Low. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted people are low. He told me to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Where are they? Low. 
He wants me to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn and provide for all who grieve because they are low. To bestow on them a crown of beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise. So you bring crowns of beauty. You bring oil of joy. You bring the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. But if you plant yourself, you will have to go low, lower than you've ever been in humility, letting them break your heart, letting them put the footprints of dirt all over you, walking into their emotional gum, dealing with their heartbreak, dealing with their grievances, dealing with their failures, dealing with it over and over and over again, because that is when Jesus and his river, if you follow him, that's where it goes. You can't be deep in the river of God until you go to the low places and plant yourself there. You cannot expect to see the healing and the miracles of God unless you are so completely planted by his streams and waters of life, but they will always be in the lowest places in the darkest places with brokenhearted, grieving people who are messed up and screwed up and prisoners and blind and they can't see. And so you have to become lower. And as we bow ourselves before Jesus and we put ourselves in that position of humility and submit our lives to him, he will always take you to the lowest who have the least amount of hope because his waters can heal them. And you will be the one bearing the fruit and the splendor and the majesty of God with the oil of joy, with a crown of beauty, and with a garment of praise to put on them in, in, in return for their despair and their ashes. You want to know what the heart of missions is. Go lower as you bow before Jesus. Don't bow to anything else but Jesus and go as low as you can possibly go. And when you get there, plant yourself there and start bearing fruit for him and bearing his splendor. Lord Jesus, this morning, God, I sense you calling us to repentance This is a church, and this is a church with your people, and we are not going to play a game and pretend like our noses don't run, because they do. We have sinned and done ugly things, and Lord Jesus, in this place, there is a call to repentance, a call to repentance, a call to grieve brokenhearted, not as the world grieves for their sin. We do not grieve like that. We ask the Holy Spirit to break us and convict us and to bring into our hearts a place And band, you're going to need to do this too. Because if you want to lead with authority, if you want to have the anointing of Jesus on you, you will get on your knees and you will repent as well. We all are called to repent because the Spirit of God cannot rest inside of a vessel that is dead inside and full of bones. But it's whitewashed on the outside. And yes, we do need the music of God. We do but only in such a way that it leads us to repentance. We are not glorified. We have made mistakes, Jesus. The Holy Spirit will tell you where you have failed. Point it out to us. You are so gracious to show us. You are so gracious to show us. You are so gracious to show us where we have failed you where we have gone to the altar of another rather than to the altar of God, where we have bent our knee 
saying it doesn't matter because everybody else does it too. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, break our heart. Let your spirit of repentance come and wash over us. If you don't feel how you have offended God, then ask him to break your heart for the sins, for the sin, for the sin, for the sin that separates you. Don't play any more games with him. The time for playing games, you can you confront in front of us all you want, but God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows. And he will know if you are truly repentant. Don't be ashamed. Be super courageous and run to the altar of God and throw yourself before his mercy seat and plead with him to cast out every iniquity, every sin, every abomination that is you have brought before him before and have not owned up until this moment. You cannot do missions. You cannot do ministry. You can't do anything if you don't get this part of it right first. If your knee has never hit the floor before God, and I understand some of us cannot get on our knees anymore, but you can bow your head. You can bow something. But for those of you who can bow, I am asking you to place yourself in a position of submission before Jesus Christ right now. Right now, physically, put yourself on your face before Jesus because he deserves it. We'll bow before our phones before we bow before Jesus, but not today and not anymore. Humble yourself. God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. Lord Jesus, collectively, as a body of Christ, we repent. You said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then you will see, you will hear, you will heal in Jesus' name. You have set us apart to be holy. Yes, Lord Jesus.